Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark out for a while. Hi, it's Jackie Cation. Welcome to the Dork Forest. You know the podcast. Uh, well, you're listening to the podcast. It turns out, wow, right away, right out the gate. Um, you know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com. Patrick Brady's going to fix this audio. He's doing a bang-up job, isn't he? I think so. It's always been exciting. He also does the teaser clips, which is where I pull like two minutes out of the thing, and then he does a picture with a picture, and it's it's nice. It's on YouTube. I post it. Okay, so uh, DorkForest.com, JackieCation.com, Patrick Brady. Vilmos fixes the website. Mike Rickberg just sang that song you heard. He's going to sing again at the end, and... um yeah, there's merch, there's t-shirts and CDs and such at JackieCation.com. There's a donation button. Feel free to use it. Uh, what I'm looking for is $100 from everyone once a year or over the course of a year. But I don't have it set up to do it monthly, so you'd have to – you're you're smart people. Okay, so uh, here's the thing. Do that. If you don't have $100, uh, don't worry about it. Just tell everybody you know that you like the show. And then AllThingsComedy.com is the umbrella that I'm under. So you can listen to it on DorkForest.com or iTunes, or you can just go to AllThingsComedy.com and listen to it there and find other podcasts like Al Madrigal's and Bill Burr's and Baron Vaughn's. And uh, I should probably find out the other 30 people that are on there. I think it's like Jake Johansson, bunch of people, good times. Anyway, other than that, if you want to, you can support the show by ordering from the Amazon link on my on my website. Go to JackieCation.com. Clear your cookies, your t- temporary internet, whatever, and um, and then uh, go to Amazon through the JackieCation.com link and order there, and it doesn't cost extra. I just get a kickback. Okay, enough is enough, right? With the with the thing and the thing and a minute. Yes, a minute forty-five. Alex Edelman, Hi. welcome to the program. Yes, all right. I'm so to be here. we met in New York at the podcast festival. Mm-hmm. That did. was a good time. It was really fun. Um, the guy who runs the podcast festival, Jeremy Wien, um, asked Aww. me which nice podcast time. I'd like to do, and um, I had listened to your Stuart Lee and Harley Kind of Baller episode oh, and some yeah. of the other ones, and um, and I was like, oh, I'd love to do Jackie Cations. And he's like, that's perfect. She's I'm open looking to that. I am open to that. I, in the live ones, I like there to be a stand-up at the it's end of it. It's really fun. It's nice. It's a nice button. It's really great. Another yeah. idea stolen from Mark Maron. <laughs> you know, there's nothing to warm up an audience for stand-up comedy like 45 minutes of talking about About comedy. anything else. <laughs> about in, in the Wyatt Cenac episode, it was uh, booze and Muppets. That's right. The booze was particularly interesting. I didn't know a lot of that stuff about whiskey. That's a good episode. You should go back and listen to it. You should. And then you could hear his 10-minute set at the end of it. Uh, yes. And it was very funny. And it was really fun. That was was good. So, New York comic, we talked about what you would like to talk about, and you said, "Could I talk about David Foster Wallace?" Yeah. And I, for for the last two months that we've been talking about this, when mentioning it to people, have been calling him George Foster Wallace because uh, I know a lot about him. I don't know anything about him. Um, <laughs> I know more about him now than I did <laughs> two months ago. He's dead. Yeah, he had long hair, mm-hmm. and uh, and he seems to be part of the. What I really know about him is that there was a quote in the Tina Fey book. Mm-hmm. Uh, bossy pants. Yeah, where she makes some reference to one of his essays or books or something, and she said, "If you got that David Foster Wallace reference, consider yourself part of the East Coast elite." <laughs> so, it is so true, is it? Because what what's his buzz? Is he um, the Hunter S. Thompson of your generation? What's um, happening? I think he. When you read him, you think, "Oh, this guy knew all the words, all of them, and when to use them, and he used them." in the places he thought was best and didn't really care if you knew the words. Oh, he didn't care if you got it, man. Well, you did. (laughs) Well, you would, you would because you'd have to look them up a lot of the times or you just have to guess and move on. That's why, um, I get words in context. Is that hard in his case? Um, sometimes because you weren't positive if, cause he would sometimes throw such a right hook. You weren't sure. If what you thought he meant was actually what he meant, there's a lot of stuff. The reader has to do a lot of work. He's not an easy guy to read. It's like Thomas Pynchon or one of these. Okay, um, super dense and it's really dense. It's in, incredibly is dense. Is it fiction? <laughs> it was well. He's uh, he did fiction that was incredibly dense, but he also did the most accessible nonfiction I've ever read. Um, really? It's so oh, it's so much fun. His nonfiction. His nonfiction. Okay. He wrote this book. Um, called he has a couple of amazing nonfiction essays. Um, my favorite one is uh, about 
taking a cruise, and it's called A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. Uh, I now get the reference of Tina Fey. There we go. Uh, is Thanks that what for she playing. said? Yes. It's, oh, uh, wow. Right. It's so funny. She, he's got this, um, he's got this incredibly keen eye for detail, and he'll spend like uh, two pages talking about the way a toilet flushes and, um, and he and he makes it and he makes it interesting. Oh, he it's makes so it... interesting! It's right. so entertaining. Like my my favorite thing on there, I I have it with me. I'll, I won't I won't start quoting ho- wholesale, even though there are parts I know by heart. Like, oh I really? Know, oh, it's one of the only. How long is that essay? The the that cruise ship essay? essay is. It's many. Uh, is it long? Does he write a long? It's a hundred page. It's a hundred pages in the book. In the book. Okay, that's not an essay. That's in, in what book? It was um, – oh, the book, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Oh, okay. Which is his – and it's got footnotes. He is the king of footnotes. Sometimes the footnotes are long. There are chapters of his book where the footnotes are much longer than the chapters. Okay. Uh, I The Stuart Lee comedy book. Was, yeah. Did, did you read that? Exa- oh, I love that. You get a mention in there. You get a shout out in there, Jack. I get I, I do. It's uh, He, he for some reason, wants to talk about people that he's done stand-up comedy with. That's and, true. Uh, I'm very flattered. I love because, him. Because um, he's the best. But – it's interesting. His footnotes are hilarious because it's just three one-hour sets, and he that that he mo- that he footnotes a lot of, and he talks about the footnotes like, are brilliant. And, yeah, they're just why book. he wrote that joke and what that joke meant means to him now, and what he would do differently, and it's hilarious. And he'll footnote it like this is a lie, right? You know, like, right. like this is a lie. I made it up for comic effect. Yes, like something that wouldn't. That is that what be. David Foster Wallace is doing? What is he doing? It's more of like, for instance, he does this thing. Where um, he there was this one part of the uh, of the book, uh, I'm sorry, of the essay, where he talks about um, trying to get his own bag because on the ship everything is like um, you're supposed to. Oh, it's supposed to be fancy. It's supposed to be fancy, and it's supposed to, everything needs to be done for you. Like you really, um, you're not supposed to. You're work not even anywhere. supposed to want to lift anything up. Exactly. Unless you want to go work out. That's the exact <laughs> thing. So he wants to get zinc oxide out of his bag, like yeah. his nose. And he says, um, uh, and so he tries to go to the luggage pile to get his own luggage. And I have, can I, can I read this part? I you may, uh, you may. I won't. And, but, so I come out. And but so I come out and spot my duffel among the luggage and I start to grab and haul it out of the towering pile of leather and nylon with the idea that I can just whisk the bag back to 1009 myself and root through it and find my good old ZNO. And one of the porters sees me starting to grab the bag and he dumps all four of the massive pieces of luggage he's staggering with and leaps to intercept me. At first I'm afraid he thinks I'm some kind of baggage thief and wants to see my claim check or something. But it turns out that what he wants is my duffel. He wants to carry it to 1009 for me. And I, who am about half again, this poor herniated little guy's size, as is the duffel bag itself, protest politely trying to be considerate, saying, don't fret, not a big deal, just need my good old ZNO. I indicate to the porter that I can see they have some sort of incredibly organized ordinal luggage dispersal system underway here, and I don't mean to disrupt it or make him carry a Lot 7 bag before a Lot 2 bag or anything. <laughs> and no, I'll just get the big old heavy weather stained sucker out of here myself and give the little guy that much less work to do. And then a very strange argument indeed ensues, me v. the Lebanese porter, because it turns out I am putting this guy, who barely speaks English, in a terrible kind of sedulous service double bind, a paradox of pampering, vis-a-vis the passenger is always right versus never let a passenger carry his own bag paradox. Clueless at all at the time about what this poor little Lebanese man is going through, I wave off his high-pitched protest and his agonized expression as mere servile courtesy and extract the duffel bag and lug it up the hall to 1009 and slather the old beak with ZNO and go outside and watch the coast of Florida receive cinematically a la Frank Conroy. <laughs> a la so Frank Conroy. All that, all right. that stuff. And then one of the um, – and uh, – and there's one footnote above the above when he first says, "Find my good old ZNO." And he, in the footnote is, uh, it's tiny, but uh, which, by the way, trust me, I used to lifeguard part time. And fuck this SPF hoo ha. Good old ZNO will keep your nose looking like a newborn's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, just in the middle of that interlude, he'll like he'll be like, "By the way, you need to know this right, about right. zinc oxide." I'm not going to work it into the prose. Yeah. I just have an extra thing that I want to tell you. There's so much because it's. Some people read his stuff without the footnotes. Okay. Some people, and some people, I've, I met some guy who only reads the footnotes. Who only reads the who footnotes. Only reads the footnotes and tries to extrapolate the piece based on the footnotes. <laughs> what a weird way to read a book. Yes, yes. It's, uh, the th- are you sure he didn't read it 
one way, the other way, and then now just reads the footnotes and tries to remember what yeah, was being I think said. I think that's probably that guy might it. be dipped. I think that guy is dipped in some in some David Foster. It's Wallace. pretty weird, and though not all in Infinite Jest, which is the big, big, big novel that he wrote. It's like okay. twelve hundred pages. I, How many novels did he write? Any idea? Let's see. He wrote a handful. Broom of the System. Okay. He wrote um, The Girl with Curious Hair. I think he wrote four novels, including one that was published posthumously, which was The Pale King. Okay. Which came out. A couple of years ago, I played a stupid prank at Brooklyn Book Festival, which only uh, book nerds would enjoy. Where I walked around <laughs> to trot um, it out. Yeah, I walked around to various book dealers and asked if they had autographed copies of The Pale King. Oh, which was that's, that's good time. That's that's good time. Yeah, a couple of people said, "I don't think so," but I'll check. So right. a lot of people gave me angry looks. Did you get Did you bad. get the hairy eyeball from some people? Going, oh yeah. A lot of people like that's so disrespectful. Oh, that's hilarious. I love you. You're My, hilarious, kid. No, Keep moving. Really Move along. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I know, but you got to find what small pleasure you can. Oh yeah. And see, when you it's called the Pale King. The Pale King. It's supposedly really good. I've never read it. It's huge. Also, he wrote these Do these novels are massive. Oh, they're all like fourteen hundred pages yes. and and super dense. But his short stories are yeah. It's that it's really like that. But he wrote short story collections, which are he wrote um one called. Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Okay. Which was made into a movie directed by Jim from The Office. So, oh. um, John Krasinski. Oh, right. John Kr- Oh, the- yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I almost know who that yeah, is. Was Good like, for me. I wasn't me. sure, but it was in, but he's got this huge legion of fans. Well, not, I'm sorry, not a huge legion of fans, but a cultish, an incredibly cultish legion of fans. And, um, you know, it, like- it's more, it's, it's, it's very specific. His his fandom, right? It's a really it's really like hard Sedaris, to get into but but yeah. like, and also, but hard, a thing. but less accessible from 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 hearing that. I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I could do it. It's really but, hard to it's really hard to get into it. Mm-hmm. His his it used to be that if you discovered him, you found him in a place where he belonged. Like like these essays were published in Harper's Magazine, and if okay. you're looking for a hundred page essay. On a cruise ship, you find it in Harper's Magazine. Yeah, that's where they're being kept. Exactly. No <laughs> one's going to open up People Magazine and be like, oh my God, there's a 150-page essay on what it's like to go to a state fair in <laughs> Illinois. Let's get started. I know. I, I For one year, I got the New Yorker. And I couldn't – I might as well – I wish I would have kept them all because they could have lasted me uh, for the rest of my life. I just read the cartoons. I, I literally just read the cartoons. So I will. Funny. I will page through one – like a couple of times I tried to read the longest of all articles and one of them was a uh, um it was a it was a, a biography of Lyndon Johnson and it was uh, an excerpt so it was Probably just 130 pages yeah no idea no um see it's but really it was great it was interesting when you get in the middle middle of a piece like that i just it's not that I lose interest, but it feels like a slog sometimes. It feels like I'm losing interest. What 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 is the difference between actually losing interest and that just feeling like I'm losing interest? Well, <laughs> when you feel like you're losing interest, when There's you do lose guilt. interest, that's you've crossed the Rubicon. You just <laughs> you just shut it and you're like, "Okay, I'm going to go play." Yeah. But it's yeah. it's weird because most of the websites dedicated to Infinite Jest online and there are several. Okay. Um because it's such a uh labyrinthine book. Um, it's 1200 pages. It's 1200 right? pages. Although I read it on a Kindle, so I never knew what pages I was on. I just knew. Yeah, you know, they took those away. They took what pa- the page numbers away. I, I sort of, people kept telling me, oh, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll hate it. It's not the same thing, but. Oh, um, reading it on the Kindle? Yeah, but part of me, because everyone's like, well, part of the fun of reading a book is, um, holding up the second half of the book and being like, how much do I have left? Mm. But, um, A, I was still able to see all the percentages. Like, right, like the percentages being run on the yeah. bottom. You're like, oh my god, I'm 12 percent in. That's intimidating. And also, <laughs> you can highlight a word on a Kindle, and it gives you the definition. Oh, and uh, yeah, the clip that you read, uh, the 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 passage that you read, sedulous. Sedulous. I had to look that up too. It means um, something from sedition. Sedulous. I think it means um, someone who's. Um, Some poor bastard immigrant who's trying to earn a living, ordering bags yeah, all over the place and being bossy magood by the world. I think it's like altering. So like I think that's right. I think it like alters service. Like a sedulous is something that you're trapped in. Sedulous service or or I, maybe really. Oh, good I will look it up and put it in the notes, people. Please I don't do. Have, I don't, I, I'm not above not knowing. A word. I feel like this is going to be a heavily noted. <laughs> 
like a heavily noted dork forest. There are going to be a it's, lot of notes. It, there could be. There could be. As uh, it'd be nice if I. Um, It'd be nice if I could just do, you know, like in, in, on YouTube, like if the podcast were Annotated. on YouTube and you could annotate like in the middle of the listening where you're like, at this point I was actually, I had to weed off and, uh, I decided to go get, uh, another pistachio. There are pistachios today. No, uh, no cashews. No cashews, but there no. is a dove peppermint bark, which is quite refreshing. Right. Which I bought so much of at Christmas because I freaking love it. I do that and too. And I didn't want to run. Like, like Easter is one of my favorite holidays because they discontinued the Butterfinger BBs, which is disgusting. Yeah. But, um, but Butterfinger BBs were my favorite candy when I was a kid and I wrote a series of very angry letters to Nestle about oh. them discontinuing it. I got a cease and desist letter eventually. For real? Yeah, because I sent a letter to Nestle and, uh, I said, hi, my name's Alex Edelman. I'm 13 years old. Um, I watched Law and Order. I don't know why I tossed that in there. Uh-huh. Cause you were 13. Yeah. You yeah. were, you were trying to, I wanted to let them know I was grown up. Law. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, and you guys discontinue the Butterfinger BB, what happened to it? Or I'm like, I can't find it anywhere, what happened to it? And the woman wrote back, her name was like Jen Lerner or something, and she was like, hi, Alex, um, we're, we're sorry, we discontinued the Butterfinger BB. Um, some boxes may be in stores, but they're not, you know, we don't manufacture them anymore. And I wrote back, um, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden you're pen pals. I was really angry. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you're not really telling me what happened to them. They weren't hunted to extinction. Why did you stop making them? Oh, and then all of a sudden she's like, you know, I have my own 13 year old at home who's a jackass. I do not need this sort of snark. I did. I and got then, a letter from yeah. a lawyer. He was like, you need to show this to your parents. It is a standard <laughs> cease and desist letter. But here's the best part. There's a PS at the end where he wrote, um, the whole thing was boilerplate, but the PS is, I watch Law and Order also. Like he just, which was nice that he was like, this is a crazy child. Right. But let's, but let's treat him. Let's treat him with the. And the thing is, is she could have just written, guess what? You're the only one who liked them. <laughs> and then that's, that's I totally they... would have accepted it. Right. You are alone and they make, feel free to hoard them. They make Easter eggs, Butterfinger Easter eggs, which are oblong and a little more chocolatey than the Butterfinger BB, but there is a Butterfinger center. So I think they use the same blueprint oh. for and the you eggs. you enjoy those? I love uh, those. Those are also excellent? Yeah. My Although, favorite Easter candy are those creepy malted uh, robin's eggs. Oh, I love those a malted are robin's weird. Egg. I know they're nice. They're nice. Easter was weird for me this year because I was in um, I was in Fort Lauderdale and uh, I was in the airport. That's where Jesus would be when he oh, comes yeah. back. Well, that's what I thought because I checked Twitter and the number one trending topic was Jesus has risen. Yeah, and I forgot it was Easter and I'm Jewish. Right. So for a second, I was like, Oh my god, I gambled terribly. <laughs> Uh, I really – I went to CNN.com to see if they would have the story about Jesus coming back. I genuinely did that. I couldn't – for a couple of seconds, I was like, why would – Why would – who – who is this Jesus that they keep talking no, about? No, but I knew who he was, but I genuinely thought he had made a return appearance. Like oh. that, they totally – because that was on Twitter. It was the number one trending topic. People write, Jesus has risen. <laughs> oh, right. And it's always some news thing like Annette Funicello yesterday. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Annette Funicello? What happened to Annette Funicello? She passed away, age 70. Uh, really? She had MS. Yeah, she had MS for many, many years. I didn't know that. Yeah, not and Margaret Thatcher oh. passed away yesterday. Oh. Yeah, not, I heard about that. Neither one of them. A career cut tragically short. Yeah, uh, they had to go. <laughs> it's time to go. And uh, Margaret and Thatcher, especially. I knew about that. Yeah, mm. yeah, I'm sure. It's funny. Uh, I was driving in the car yesterday, and Andy, Andy Ashcraft, my husband, uh, said to me. Wow, I hope that they don't run into each other at the pearly gates. And I was like, I do not think that is going to be a problem. Yeah, I think they'll Thatcher. be in different lines. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and Andy said something along the lines that he wouldn't want to get the Margaret Thatcher taint on uh, on Annette Funicello. And there's another taint joke. That, I think third episode in a row, Rangers. <laughs> anyway. But, so when he writes fiction, David Foster Wallace, yeah. is it, are there dragons? What are we talking about? What kind of fiction is it? Is it a slice of life? Does Oprah like it? It's very, very heavy. Is um, it Philip Roth? I'd say it's closer to Philip, I'd say it's closer to Pynchon. I'd say it's closer to like Pynchon and those mm, serious novelists sort of like, like Saul Bellow and things like that. It's very self, it's very self-aware. Right. And his fiction is also, um, there's a lot of stuff about death and there's a lot of stuff about gifts. Like he's very keen on the idea of like art being a gift and fiction being a gift and, um, he won a MacArthur Prize, which is a huge, huge grant, right. a genius it's prize. It's a genius grant. And so he wrote this short story collection, Brief Interviews with Hideous Men, that was partially funded by the MacArthur grant. And he talks about like giving and receiving a lot. So all this stuff is um everything I think that's this is a personal um this is a personal opinion of David Foster Wallace. So I'm sure that 
there are people who massively disagree with me, but I see everything in his books, all the subject matter, even life, because he killed himself, which is a, um, which is right a couple awful. of years ago, right? Yeah, in two thousand, he hung himself, didn't he? He hung himself. That seems that seems super melodramatic. It, it was really it was really weird because I it was two thousand eight September like twelfth or something two thousand eight, and I just got into college. I was a freshman at NYU, and I hadn't discovered him yet. I didn't because I wasn't reading right, those it was places. New. You were still watching all on order. It was really <laughs> still. I was more into. I was really into comedy. Really. Into we're, we're really in stand-up comedy. Oh, it's so in stand-up comedy. Sure. I was right. really getting into. Yeah. People should see Alex Edelman and follow you on Twitter, which is Alex underscore Edelman, E-D-E-L-M-A-N. It's a really um, – so so one of my prof- – yeah. my favorite professor, um, th- this guy who had become my mentor at NYU, is, I had amazing – I was a fiction major at – I'm sorry. I was an English literature major at NYU and I took a lot of creative writing classes and I had some incredible professors like, um, like Nathan Englander, who's one of the best short story writers. In the country, and who I read his short link, story collection. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll link up the. the oh, it's so stuff. good. Yeah, he's got a new book out called "What We Talk About When We Talk About Anne Frank," and um, he's very. I was raised Orthodox Jewish, so it was a big. Uh, a lot of his stories were from the setting that I was raised from. Okay. And he loved David Foster Wallace and Zadie Smith, who is a amazing novelist, who's probably one of the most beloved novelists on the planet um, today. Uh, she was one of my professors and she loved David Foster Wallace and, uh, my, my mentor at NYU, this guy named Darren Strauss, who won a national book award, um, two years ago for a memoir. It beat out Patty Smith's memoir. It was really, it was really spectacular. Wow. It's, it's called Half My Life. Um, okay. He, he introduced me to David Foster Wallace, who was his favorite writer. And I met him two weeks after Foster Wallace killed himself and, um, and I discovered him two weeks and one day after David Foster Wallace killed himself. So oh, okay. It was like a really weird thing. And then I kept seeing a lot of – he has this voice, Foster Wallace, that it feels like the voice in your head. It's self-doubting and it's very um, – sometimes it's really complicated and yeah. overdramatic and sort of scared and really um It makes sense that writers would really like him. It's like when love comics him. love super complicated comics. You know, like when, when, when you like the fiddly guy who's mm-hmm. like really good at like the one thing, which is he can, like Stuart Lee. Yeah. That guy is, is beloved by comics. Mm-hmm. Andy Kindler, beloved by comics. And it's some, you know, but a lot of people, some people don't get him, you know, Maria Bamford, beloved by comics and by the public, but also, but a very specific part of the public. And I would think professors who spend most of their life creating and reading so much different kinds of prose would really like kind of a fiddly, really introspective uh-huh. celebration of the language, which is what he seems to be. Well, something that Stuart Lee – I think it's in the same chapter you get a shout in. I think it might be on the next <laughs> couple of pages. Um, Stuart Lee has the, said this thing, which really changed the way I look at all art, not just stand-up comedy. He said that there are two sides to stand-up comedy, and it's, it was a revelation for him. He was interviewing Paul, Paul Provenza about the aristocrats. Which, by the way, was the movie. Oh, right. It was the movie that made me recommit myself to comedy. I was like 15 or 16, and I had done a couple open mics, and then I saw the Aristocrats, and went, and oh yeah, I need to go back to that and be part of that world. Wow. Um, but but Stuart Lee's interviewing Paul Provenza, and he realizes that there are two sides to stand-up comedy, which is content and aesthetic, like the aesthetic of doing stand-up comedy and what you talk about. Right. And so I love comics that have this really brilliant. Um, blend of like unusual aesthetic and stellar content well delivered. So I love, um, I love, uh, Maria Bamford and Stuart Lee and not Centralish. I loved your albums. Is well, a f- thank you. Unbelievable example of that. It's just also available. Yeah. And, <laughs> but the, yeah, it's not going to be bread. Yeah. No, it's never going to be bread. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, yeah, that's, it's, I think it's integral to where we come mm-hmm. from, you know, and so the fact that, that they read so much, I mean, yeah, because he's he's so new, you know, how old was he when he killed himself? He's in his early 30s? 40s, I early think. Early 40s? And he was so beloved. He was a pro. He was a prodigy. He was a really um, lexical prodigy. He was he was all he, he got A's and was the valedictorian and and um, but he also had serious mental issues. And he wrote a lot about killing himself. And what ended up happening was um, there's a remarkable book about um, – there's a new biography about his life. And uh, it's it's good. But there's a real insight into his um, personality by this guy named David Lipsky. who was a Rolling Stone reporter who took a road trip with him. Okay. And uh, the book is called – it's one extended conversation, one extended interview. And the book is called Although, of course, you end up becoming yourself. And um, Foster Wallace – 
was on these um was on these 1950s um antidepressants uh what he was on was at, like hipster <laughs> antidepressants. <laughs> He's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try those. Uh, I'm going to get some shock treatment and uh, and maybe I'm get sure some lithium. I remember the name. Well, that's what happened because he was when it what? started. They started him young on these when he was a young guy, and the technology had advanced somehow. Oh, okay. And so, like, he had. So when he he was so if so, let's say in 1980, yeah, which was when they first started medicating everybody. Yes. Um, that's when they started doing it and all they had were those meds from the Oh 60s. yeah, all they had were those awful, awful meds. And right. apparently Lipsky says, um, it's weird that I know this by heart, but Lipsky says in like the forward to the book that, um, he was towed a boxcar of side effects with it. There were a lot of side effects for him and right. he took a leave from school. And although he told friends he was going somewhere else, he went to rehab or something like that or, or a mental institution. And, um, he tried to change. His uh, – after he got really famous for Infinite Jest, he tried to change his meds. Okay. And, and so he went and he tried to get a different cocktail of, of meds exactly. to sort of balance them out better? Because he, he didn't want it anymore. And then um, and then when he went back – and th- those meds didn't work. And then when he went back on his original meds, he found that they had lost its effect, their effectiveness. Wow. So he just spiraled down, not to be a downer. And then one day he, he, you know, he hung himself. But he was all about life being – he was strangely religious – and he and he wrote a lot was about like being a gift. I don't think so. I All think right. he picked it up like at the end, which is weird for someone who is so. Um, well, you look I, at Bob Dylan; he's constantly changing his. Religion. Oh yeah. So <laughs> the Jewish Bob Dylan albums are some of my favorite, and they're terrible. <laughs> they're, like Infidels is an awful album, but it's got such um, it's got such funny. Uh, Speaking of putting just a bunch of words in a row and then <laughs> hoping that you, I, I spend a good portion of my time figuring out what the hell they mean. Exactly. I was like, Bob, feel free to use a verb. Go ahead. You I'm love Dylan, just... right? Do you like Dylan? I like Dylan, but I just, I don't get Dylan always, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I like Dylan like I like the Beatles. Yeah. I don't, I don't love them, mm-hmm. but I, I want to, you know? It's like, you know, and then so I, I want, I also want to like Jim Morrison. Even yeah, though, I don't like Jim Morrison. Well, it's for very some popular reason. right now to sort of blow him off. And is it really? It is a little bit, only because, sense. um, because if you, if you scratch at the surface of Jim Morrison, mm-hmm. he was a tool. Yeah, he was. But some very... of his lyrics are amazing, and they're also that jumble of words that you're like, it could mean anything, man. Mm-hmm. I should probably take some mushrooms and really. Who are your favorites? Do you have a favorite? Uh oh, I'm the worst. Um, um, like when I listening music wise. Yeah, yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, I love Simon I mean, and Garfunkel. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to. I mean, when I'm listening to classics, it's not. Uh, I more. It's better now that it's <laughs> than it's ever been. But it used to be Billy Joel and Harry Chapin. Oh, I don't know wow. if you're familiar with Harry. Chapin. I am. Uh, Cats in the Cradle, right? Cats in the Cradle. I when when I went to college, <laughs> I used to listen to Harry Chapin. Uh. When I was depressed, because mm-hmm. no one's more depressed than Harry Chapin. He will out-depress you, and you'll go, oh, my life isn't that bad, because I'm not a baby starving to death in the middle of Uganda in 1977. This, um, I spent some time in England last year, and I got introduced to this guy named Jeffrey Lewis. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I did two, I did a festival with Comic? him, and he was, he's, well, he's a musician, but he, but his songs are, Definitely could be considered comedy music, okay. but they're brilliant and and uh, and so he became one of my favorites. This lady named Sarah Bonetto introduced me to him, and she knows him. What like he knows the comedy scene. He's really into the comedy scene there. Um, but uh, I loved I love Warren Zevon. Right, I remember Warren Zevon briefly. He had but... such yeah. He died. He he died as well. Mm. There's, yeah. There's something there's something very strange. I don't know if it's a thing with me, but. Warren Zevon also knew he was going out. He had a cancer that he was spiraling down into. And so his last Letterman appearance, he was on Letterman a lot. Right. And his last Letterman appearance, um, Letterman asked him, uh, what have you learned from, you know, dying? Your classic yeah. life choices. And uh, <laughs> and Zevon went, enjoy every sandwich. Oh, that's right. Was he the guy who said enjoy every sandwich? Yeah, that was him. And his last oh, that's album. Just good, that's just good advice. It really is. <laughs> Every time I have a sandwich now, I think about it. I don't eat sandwiches anymore. Have, oh, have you had a Vietnamese sandwich? <laughs> They're really good about that's me. Good. Yeah, yeah. That's just good. That's just good writing. <laughs> well done, Vietnamese people. I, uh, I love him and, um, and I love, uh, my only problem with a lot of these, you know, geniuses die young kind of thing, yeah. you know, where you're like, you know who else, uh, uh, don't die young geniuses. That's true. Uh, there's a lot of old geniuses out there that uh, are still working. And they live George long Carlin, enough. George Carlin, 
died a natural death. Yeah. People consider him a genius, to my really? knowledge. I think he is, but a lot of what's also sad is you got to see a lot of people alive kicking. But they get some people get old, and they get you get to see them sadly not become geniuses. <laughs> Right. Well, Dana Gould went and saw um, Frank Sinatra's one yeah. of his last concerts, mm-hmm. and he said it was it was really kind of brutal, but yeah. it was still amazing because it was Frank Sinatra, but he couldn't remember his own words, and uh, and he was just sort of scatting yeah. a lot. And uh, that's and, why it's so refreshing though to see a guy like sometimes you see like Eddie Pepitone, right. who's in his fifties, um, fifties, yep, yeah, yeah, and Eddie is. Um, Top of his game. Yeah, he's. I feel like he hit his stride at this age. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's really cool to see someone like like Eddie just sort of sort of kick into a second gear and be awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, it is cool. It's it's interesting because um, there's you know I mean you start there was a, an article that just came out in the New York Times that Louis C.K. article. Yeah, about, yeah, I read that. And my favorite quote from that is people are like, well, people can't do mm-hmm. young comics can't do what you did because they. And and he says to the interviewer, why can't they do what they did? Well, they don't have the fan base that you have to just release their stuff on their internet and make a million dollars. And he's like, yeah, but why don't they have that that fan base? And they're like, well, they haven't been doing it long enough. And he's like, yeah. Exactly. Right. When you've been doing it 40 years. And the problem is, is those 40 years, right? I mean, you have to make sure you don't get bitter Mm -hmm. and you keep growing. And those are not – they're easy to say. They're simple things that are not easy, right? You know, it's exceptionally – its like I'm 24 years old. I turned 24 like two or three Happy weeks birthday. ago. Yes. It's its its especially scary though because, you know, when I was a kid, I was certain I'd work in baseball. Like I worked um, – Oh, right. For, yeah. I worked at the Red Sox. When I got was 12 years old, I started working at the Red Sox and then I worked at the Dodgers for two years. How did you get I sent a bunch of letters. Again, I was a letter writer apparently. <laughs> Nice work. Nice and, work. Uh, and they were like, all right, just come Take in. Take hope, people. Write a letter. Yeah, write letters. It's a very lost – I haven't – what was the last time you wrote a letter? I couldn't remember. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I can't remember. I think I wrote one to my dad because he does not have the internet. Really? Mm-hmm. Your dad doesn't have the internet. My father does not have the internet. That's incredibly refreshing. Yeah, neither did my uh, my mother who passed away. She did not uh. have – neither one of them had the internet because um, – what did my mother say about it? She said, I don't want another monthly cost. And I was like, you mean like electricity? Yeah. You got the rest of them. It's just another 15, 20 bucks. It's okay. And she was like, mm, no. And, uh, landline. That's anyway, so insane. It's, it feels weird, but, uh, but yeah, they didn't, he doesn't need the internet. He has a cell phone. He yeah. Anyway. It's so strange to, it's so strange to me, but I, yeah, so I wrote letters when I was a kid and I got, I, I worked in PR for a long time in baseball, so I thought, oh, I'll work in baseball forever. And then around 14, I started falling in love with stand up and I, you know, right before my 15th birthday, I went and did some comedy. Right. And so I've been in comedy for like a surprisingly long time, I guess, for like nine years. Yeah. Off and on. And so it's, um, although when I was 16, I kept, like, I, I've been, since I was 17, I'd say getting on stage four or five times a week. Every, every week and you know last from 17 from 17 all through college all through college okay i made it a, i made it oh finals week sometimes i take off but sure. i made it a thing and if i didn't do it for a couple of days i get jittery like i like you know oh, yeah. i feel really depressed and um mm-hmm. and like and, and feel really filled up and um and i i love it but i wonder because even you know 24 people are like oh you've got so much time i didn't even start um, Gary Goldman, who's one of my favorite comedians and this guy who I get to open for sometimes yep. and one of my best friends, he'll tell me, oh, haven't he's you? He's a good guy. He's Gary a great Goldman. guy. Mm-hmm. He's lovely. And he'll go, oh, I hadn't even started at your age. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to be a good friend and he is. Um, but of course, and I know that now because I know it because I watch people like Louie and, you know, people like Stuart Lee and, and you know, people, people like yes. you, you guys pay your dues for a long time until, you know, the ship comes in. But it just, it, you know, it's, it and is. Sometimes it. the ship doesn't come in, but you keep doing it because mm-hmm. that's why you do it. I mean, you, you can't do it waiting for some f- fucking ship. Yeah. Uh, you have to just do it. You're just like, I'm not going to stand at this dock forever. It and is and real. You're like, I am. It's I am a gamble though, isn't it, OJ? Right? It's a huge gamble because. It, but so is plumbing. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually plumbing's pretty standard. Uh, you're always going to need plumbers. But what yeah. if you're a shitty plumber? I mean, there's people who, who do stand-up comedy who aren't good at it, right? Yeah. And who do it for, Years yeah. for fifteen twenty years, they never get paid for it. They only go up at open mics, and they only and they never realize why. And sometimes it makes them mad, and sometimes it doesn't make them mad. And I like 
the ones that they, that don't make the mad that are terrible comics. And I, and I know them in Minnesota. Yeah. There's, there's guys that, that I came up with that, I, that have been doing stand up for at least 15 years who do not work, mm-hmm. go up once or twice a week at this one room and have been telling the same jokes for those 15 years, you know? And you're just like, okay. Definition of insanity, right? Right. The definition, which is to do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, mm-hmm. except for that the guy, like the guy that I'm thinking of, he yeah. doesn't ever, it's okay. You know, to some extent, I like him better than the guy that's bitter about it. Yeah. Because that guy, my favorite story, and I've told it on the Dork Forest before, Dave Mordal mm-hmm. laughed first season of Last Comic Standing. Yeah. Uh, you might know him from there, but, mm-hmm. uh, but he, is a guy that will tell comics something that is none of his business, which is that you suck. Yeah. Or get away from me. And it's because it's, <laughs> it's none of your business what anybody else is doing on stage, except for that it can be because it's actually your business. Yeah. It's what you do. It's what you do for a living. No, it's but, totally, I love those people. But you have to, yeah, cause I'm, I try not to do it just because it's, I try to remind myself that I, I don't want to affect their art or their journey or yeah. their thing. Cause maybe they'll find it. And me telling them that they suck. So this guy comes off stage and Dave is headlining and he, the guy had gotten a guest set and Dave goes, you have to stop doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. You've been doing it for 15 years. You've never said a funny thing Oof. and you've got to stop. Wow. And the guy was like, what? Yeah. And, uh, and he goes away, comes back the next night and asks Dave for a guest set. Jesus. Right. He thought he was busting balls or something like that. Right. He thought he was just screwing around with them. And. <laughs> And you're just like, dude. But then there's people that I know who don't work who are like, I can't believe I'm not on Leno. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I don't know how to tell you that you're not going to be, you're not even going to get a shitty weekend gig. I don't even know how to, I don't know how to tell people that. And I don't know that it would help, but it's a weird, it's a weird, I don't know where what we weeded off into comedy. But. No, no, that's a, like, I think, cause this guy, David Foster Wallace, mm-hmm. he clearly had tremendous talent. He had, he was so, he was so, so brilliant. He could have done anything he wanted. He's one of these people who, who you look at him, he's a nationally ranked junior tennis player when he was a kid. Wow. And then he. Where'd he grow up? Uh, Illinois. Okay. His, his parents were both academics, or I think one of them, his mother was a academic. And, um, he went to Amherst and was a mathematical prodigy and, and it was really, really smart. And then he went into fiction because he felt like, um, it, fiction's kind of a, you know, uh, morally, he thought it was a gift. It was a, it was a, it was another thing about gifts okay. for him. And, huh. and it's strange because you, you know, someone with that transcendent talent, oh, they're doing something that they were meant to do. Right. But you always wonder for yourself if comedy is what you're, what you're meant to do. Oh, right, right. Sometimes I, yeah, I mean, sometimes you worry about it and you're mm-hmm. just like, am I a hack? What's yeah. happening? I wonder and- about that all the time, whether <laughs> I'm original, whether I deserve it. That's why I loved England because, um, I was in England. I went, I was in England from January of last year through, I did Edinburgh. Okay. And, uh, it was Which totally. Is the end of July or something, right? End of July, the beginning of August. Right. And it was a totally unexpected, uh, it was end of July to the end of August. It was a totally unexpected, um, lovely surprise to, to do it and, and get. Seven to, months. Yeah. Oh my God. But are, isn't the, the British comedy scene has got, it, it has all the different facets too, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's just guys who are making a living, right? Mm-hmm. That are just sort of just clubby, out there, clubby. Comics. Wiggly, shouty, perfectly mm-hmm. fine, but yeah. not, not really breaking any. Exactly. And any, any, I don't know. They're not inventing a, yeah. a new wheel. Reinventing the wheel. Yes. Yeah. So, so, but they're perfectly nice people and they're, and everyone's psyched to see them. And I so, met a lot of those guys and it was weird because they're more artificy. There's a lot more, um, fluff around the jokes and things like that. So there's, like there's very, like mannerisms or something. People or? will go, "How are you doing? Are you well?" And then you know they fake laugh at their own jokes and things like that. Oh, and weird. Yeah, so they really sell it. British people are really good at selling things on stage. Okay. <laughs> but so it's really strange to see their poles are further apart. Let's say that. Like, um, 
like their better comedians might be better than our better comedians. Okay. But their worst comedians are way worse than our worst comedians. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Well, they're a lot older than we are, so they yes. have a depth of, uh, of they have a, a they invented the language. There's where a, they can go back in time, they can really dig into the well and find some crap and some and some gold. What do you read? I'm curious. What do you what kind of stuff do you read? Are you a fiction? Oh, are you, I was just uh, what did I just finish? I'll tell you what's staring at me, which is Shakespeare by another name. Yeah. Uh, from an earlier episode that I can't. Uh, it's been, and then that's the stack of stuff that I'm supposed to read. Wow. Oh, were but, you a fantasy person? I mean, I was a, um, I'm a one? fantasy person, but a classic. Oh. Like, like I'm a, I'm a big, I only know the big names, but I like love. Dunsany? Have you read that Lord Dunsany book? No. Okay. That's a, it's a, it's the, supposedly it's the book that it, everything is based on. Really? And, um, and I have read most of it, and it is very beautiful. The prose is very, very beautiful, and it was written in the twenties, and and it's um really and, yeah, and it was you know a, might have been actually written in the eighteen nineties. I don't have it oh, handy. And then there's that uh, the last unicorn, the Peter book that's right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's yeah. I mean, are you a Doug Adams? Are you a Doug Adams person? Douglas Adams. I read it uh, just in time uh, oh. because you know if you you miss the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't read it because uh there has to be a time when you can still appreciate how funny sarcasm can be. Oh my god. But if you're past that time, you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But if you haven't read Douglas Adams and you feel that you might be too old, Rangers of the Dork Forest, read Neil Gaiman and Terry Oh, Pratchett's, Neil Gaiman's great. The Good Omen? Yeah, yeah. Have you read Good Omen? I have. <laughs> I love Neil Gaiman. I know. It's essentially Douglas Adams for grownups. Doug Adams' daughter Polly is, uh, is like a friend of the comedy scene and, and um. And, okay. And there's a, there's a huge overlap in England between like the nerd comedy scene. Right. We'll say that. And the, like, the alternative comedy scene and the rest of, um, and like the rest of, like a, ner- a nerdish culture. Okay. Like, um, Alan Moore, who's a spectacular, spectacular, you, of yes, course you know Alan Moore. Comic book guy. Alan Moore's really good friends with Josie Long and, um, and Robin Ince. Josie Long? Oh, Josie is, Josie's my favorite comedian, um, under the age of 31. Okay. She's, is she 30? Uh, she's 30. <laughs> I'm just saying she is, she might be my favorite comedian period, but I'm not sure cause I'm not good at picking like one person for It's that, very hard. It's very hard. She's one of your favorite comedians. She is, she is unreal. And she and has her name this is show. Josie what? Josie Long. J-O-N-G. Yes. And, um. Oh, I'm going to link a, a video. Oh, you must. She is, but you have to see, this is a person you have to see live. Like she's the queen of set lists. Like I've never seen anyone do a set list like Josie. Um, but she. The Troy Conrad, Paul Preventive yes. thing? Okay. Where they hand you the set list when you go on stage. Exactly. Which is right. impossible and so much fun. It oh, feels like skydiving. It's the best. But, um, Josie has a show. This is the kind of comedian she is. She has a show where comedians come and talk about, um, hidden treasures and unsung heroes. And it's called Lost Treasures of the Black Heart. Okay. And it's, it's overwhelming. Like imagine pot, that's another thing. British comedy, very positive. We don't have a lot of positive comedy. There's very, I find it, I find it to be, we're maybe a little bullying. And I sort of, it's weird because I grew up in that bullying culture of Boston comedy and I loved it. You know? What but, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, um, is it positive as far as like, um, it's politically? Oh, well, politically, it's pretty incendiary. I feel like, um, <clears throat> it's, or, con- it's very, it's liberal and, and angry. Um, at least the comedy that I loved right. in the UK. Um, but, but you mean it's not mean. You mean it's not, uh, it's not sort of, um, there's a lot of emphasis. And- yeah. There's, well, there's a lot of emphasis on how beautiful life is and things like that. Things you never hear in a comedy club. How amazing something is. Okay. Things that you'd very rarely hear. The pr- they're coming from a separate, a different yeah, direction. Exactly. Okay. Although I feel like it's maybe a counterpoint to their, um, cause we're pr- proud of our comedy heritage. In England, they hate their comedy heritage. With the exception of like Monty Python and some like stuff that's viewed as very much alternative, their mainstream comedy in like 60s, 70s, really like racist and homophobic and right. and those some of those guys They're are super still around. supportive of the Polish right now, I understand. <laughs> uh, no, it's really a- yeah, it's a really <laughs> weird it's a really weird thing. But Josie Josie's friends with um with uh with 
with Alan Moore and um, Robin Ince, who hosts his show with this guy named Brian Cox, who's like a really like who's like a sexy scientist, mm-hmm. um, is on the is on the BBC. And so comedy and science and stuff like that really overlap. So Neil Gaiman's a friend of the comedy scene, and like which is why Hardwick and Nerdist has been able to really make a, a yeah. an impact on BBC America. Oh, it's and, such a good it's such a good fit. Yeah, it's a perfect fit, and and. Chris Hardwick has had Neil Gaiman on The Nerdist. Has he really? Yeah. I already had Tom Hanks on that. He got him with a gift typewriter. And I stuff know, like and I'm that. super jealous. <laughs> anyway, but uh, not so jealous that I'm willing to uh, yeah. do anything about it. I'm the worst. Uh, what did I, I met with this woman yesterday. Mm-hmm. Or who was telling me they were like, "Well, what are you? What are you doing about?" Oh, I know. Somebody asked me why I didn't make this a video podcast, and then somebody else uh, a said a vodcast. I, a vodcast, and then and then there was a question. There were several questions that I received this week from lovely fans of the show, uh, asking me uh, to write scripts uh, based on different uh, dork forest things, uh, stand-up comedy things, and uh, my life with Andy. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm also uh, working on uh, getting out to stand up. I have to yeah. make a living, and uh, <laughs> but and I've written some of that stuff, and no one gave a shit. But doesn't mean that no one will never give a shit. Yeah, it's just you know, there's what? always interest. I mean, that back to that thing that you were talking about about how um about how talking to talking to some someone and talent and not crushing their dreams. Yeah, you know, comedy's such a game of inches. Like you can tweak a joke that never works with one word and all of a sudden it's your closer. So yeah. who's to say that someone who's fest, who's had a festering sore of, of unsuccess isn't gonna, isn't gonna apply that, that anger in a positive way and make a real impact? Like it's possible. I don't know what Eddie was before. Right. But, but you know, I don't, you know, I'd, I'd never heard of him and there are a lot of people who speculate. He's a New York guy too. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of speculation in that new documentary that's out about him. It's really good. It's called The Bitter Buddha. Right. There's a lot of speculation about maybe he just reached the age where he resonates with people. So you never know what changes people might make. So, mm-hmm. so. He went vegan like six months ago. <laughs> he always goes <laughs> vegan. And then he, and then he passes a rib joint and he weakens as he says. Oh, is that he, what he said? Yeah. But I, but I think he's, he's really, he was in Edinburgh with me. Right. And it was super. Uh, I I met him peripherally, but I never um, hung out with him. And hanging out with him was such an experience. He's yeah. a uh, he's very frank and very performative, and it's really uh, he's really 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 funny. Yeah, and um, he's who, super sweet to hang out with, and he has real conversation, which is what all. Who I'm do you for. love? Who, what? It's in stand up. Yeah, Dana Gould. Yeah, uh, oh, I fucking love Dana Gould is the best Eddie Pepitone quote in the entire documentary, <laughs> which is that Eddie's like a skunk. Uh, Eddie is to existential angst what a skunk is to scent. You can't get more in one organism. <laughs> well, brilliant? I mean, that, yeah, but I mean, it's just, and, and Eddie's on, um, Dana's podcast a lot. The Dana Dana's Gould a hour. podcast? Yeah, the Dana Gould Hour. There's only about 12 of them. He only does them once a month. Really? And they're great. Wow. At the people, you should listen to the Dana Gould Hour. You know what else you should listen to? The Pod Squad. Yes. Uh, you only have six episodes out, right? We only have like five. We've only okay. done five so far, and we haven't really had guests yet. Uh, we've only had we've it's only you had and two. Godfrey, you and right? Go- me and Godfrey, who's a who you probably know from like the Seven Up commercials and um, right, right. And oh, Soul yeah. Play, and he's done a lot of interesting stuff. And I didn't I didn't think it would be a good fit. And then because um, I Godfrey asked me a couple times, and I I I wasn't sure because Godfrey's a comedian who's in his thirties and. Um, and you know he's he's black and I'm and he's been doing comedy forever and he's done every television show conceivable and I've you know I'm 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 a young twenty something and I've you know just started and our perspectives are so different but it really um we end up the hour flies by yeah in the same in the same way and we'll be uh, we'll be right. getting guests and uploading I encourage but, you but to so listen. far it's at thepodsquad.tumblr.com yes and the pod squad has hyphens between the yes. pod and squad. And there'll be a link on the show, of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at Alex underscore Edelman and Godfrey Comedian yeah. are your Twitter handles. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, there's so many podcasts now that it's, that it's, it's very fun. It's unwieldy almost. How many it is unwieldy. Are. Uh, you know how I solve that? I don't listen to any of them. Huh. Uh, it's very disappointing. I actually, I have listened to, I listened to some proofs mm-hmm. and I listened to, um, I don't listen. I, I, I cherry picked Mark Marin. Yeah. Cause it's gotta be, I was excited about the Mel Brooks one and Carl Reiner. Yeah. Oh, which I haven't is just heard neat. that yet. Have you seen the Seinfeld comedians and cars getting coffee thing? Yes. I have only seen one episode with Michael Richards. Oh, it's fantastic. It's really mm-hmm. good. I didn't think I'd like it. And then I loved it a lot. 
Well, it seems it seems um, relatively unscripted, which mm-hmm. I like. Oh, it's so unscripted. Does it? Yeah, you I know feel, that? It's, I feel like it. I feel like it is. Except when Seinfeld calls and he's like, "Hey, it's Jerry," and people are like, "Hey, Jerry," and he says, "Do you want to get coffee?" And Larry David's like, "Nah, sure. I have nothing to do." Right. I you mean, may, maybe the setup is the only thing. That the setup is maybe the only thing that's scripted. Th- that's scripted because it does feel super unscripted, mm-hmm. which is nice. How do you feel about comedy? And and I'll try to pull it back to Foster Wallace for for a bit, <laughs> but. How do you feel about fiction and stuff that's not stand-up comedy informing your comedy? Do you know what I mean by asking? Sure. That? Um, like a lot of my, uh, a lot of the science fiction I've read, um, like I was just reading Jasper Ford. Ford yeah, F- Fjord with like <laughs> five gets, Fs in the beginning. He gets to have two Fs because he's Welsh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if he was American, I would have told him to drop Jasper that Jasper Ford. End it. But, uh, he, uh, but I read, uh, the Jane Eyre affair mm-hmm. and I just finished the over easy, uh, the, the Humpty Dumpty, the Jack yeah. Spratt, uh, over easy mystery. And it was great. Anyway, but now I'm reading when she woke, which is my mother-in-law gave it to me and it is a dystopian future. Why? Why? Why not the dystopian present? I don't know. There's a lot of dystopian future. Infinite Jess is a dystopian future, of but it's slightly just it dy- everything's dystopian. Right. And, uh, as my father likes to say, What's wrong with the dystopian present? Things aren't going that great. Anyway, but uh, but the when she woke is essentially a book, and I'm only a little bit into it because it's super. It's kind of dark. Yeah, it's uh, The Handmaid's Tale and um, The Scarlet Letter Mm -hmm. uh, in one book. It's essentially in the future, nobody goes to jail; they Mm -hmm. just dye your entire body a color. Yeah, you become a chrome. So. like misdemeanors, you're dyed yellow, and mm-hmm. you have a there's a finite amount of time that like you're sentenced to six months, so you're mm-hmm. six months as a yellow, and uh, uh child molesters are dyed blue, and um this woman wakes up and she's red, and yeah. red is murder, oh God, so she wakes up and now and and essentially i'm it's so I like mysteries and I like thrillers and mm-hmm. i and I read a lot of comic books and and I read a lot of science and it, they make like I read the uh, the dragon tattoo books. Yeah, that I have a six minute bit now about what I am supposed to believe <laughs> from because of how popular those books are. Yeah, those books are so hugely popular that I I loathe hmm. the message of that, which is that I mean it's I'm not saying that people shouldn't live defensively. I'm just saying that you can't live defensively to the level. That the media implies that we should. But do you ever pull something out? Like, like, it's weird when I find something I like somewhere, I sort of hold on to it. Like I, right. like I was reading this article that was advocating, actually surprisingly eloquently, by this liberal guy who is a gun owner and finds tremendous security in guns. And I could not have disagreed with him more. Like I don't, but I love guns. But yeah, uh, do you really? Do, do you have seven? I don't have any <laughs> guns. Do you know why? Because I love guns. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't love guns? Ever, see, that's the thing. I Guns was, are awesome. But you can some shoot of the, them. Oops, I whistled. Nuts. Uh, you can shoot them. It's a, it's a nuts. nuts it might be. Whistle. I'm having a pistachio, people. <laughs> Go. But um, this guy said something really interesting about NRA philosophy, which is that there are different like color-coded conditions. Like um, condition white is where you're not aware of your surroundings at all. And you should never be in condition white unless you're like locked inside your house with your dog at your feet and a glass of scotch in your hand and the alarm system on. Like you should never be in condition white. Condition yellow wow. is, assist, is, like, is like constant awareness. Okay. You're always vaguely aware of what's going on in your peripheral. And, That's what a Louis L'Amour novel. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I sort of – and I sort of loved that. Something about that, because he's really, not really talking about self-awareness. He's talking about vague Your paranoia. Yeah, He's like how safe do you feel? Do you if you feel so safe, you you feel white. But well, do you that, feel panic? Do you gee. feel? Do you? But everyone feels panic, though, don't they? Maybe that's very existential. Well, it, well it's you're you're encouraged to feel panic, mm-hmm. and it's not that instinctively we all don't feel some defensiveness, and we're supposed to because as much as we're the predator, mm-hmm. we um. You have to be aware of your surroundings and you have to be aware of what's going on. There's just – there's a level of of irritation with the, with the gun owners because yeah. there's – nobody is trying to take away anyone's hunting rifle. No one. No one. Not ever. But people are paranoid. Where is the line between self-awareness and paranoia? It's like a really weird – because I always think um, – I'm always – 
panicked a little bit that like life's this thing and I'm wasting it. You know, like I need to make use of this time and, uh, you know, it could all end. It it could all like, again, Foster Wallace life is a gift. Did you you have a, a nice childhood? I did. See that, you know why? That's why you think you're wasting your time. But it was modeled a little bit. Like I had a lot of, um, you know, I was an angry kid and I was sort of confused about what was going to happen after childhood. I was always looking ahead for some reason. Never, um, uh, and it's weird because now I look back and in, like I've had a pretty interesting life. Comedy provides you with a very interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> I wish. You were surrounded by it. Oh yeah. It's an insane, it's an insane lifestyle. But the fact that they let you do stand-up comedy when you were in high school, that they, that they encouraged you to write letters and mm-hmm. they encouraged you to, to try to be the best you, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that is a very new kind of parenting Yeah, style, my parents are great, but they're worried also. Everyone's worried about, like, what's well, going to happen to your kids. They're worried, they're supportive, but there's also uh, this low-lying expectation of they've put in all of this work. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, he's living his dreams. He's living yeah. his dreams, but he better be good at it. And you're like, no, 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 because the thing is, is when I grew up, no one had any expectations mm-hmm. of us. It was like, oh my God, look at you. To feel like you're living. But Congratulations. Like in that same vein, um, not about like, oh, what am I dedicating my life to? But Foster Wallace, to, so I'll stop talking about his idea of a gift after oh, no. this. But, <laughs> um, do. I think he was sort of, he, he was interesting in conversing with religion and faith because he says that, um, he says that you get to choose what you worship. It's one of his most famous sayings. You get to choose what you worship. But um, before we get all giddy with like this postmodern relativity, like uh, you choose what you get to worship, but nine times out of ten, you end up worshiping yourself. So right. how do you balance that with 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 being uh, – because faith is, is you not worshiping. Like in North Korea, they have um, – they worship the dear leader before anything else. Okay. And so choosing what you want to worship. Unification Church of them. Yeah. Is, they, did, uh, they based that on Moon, but, who was also Korean. But imagine, imagine living in a country, and North Korea is fascinating to me because imagine living in a country where your first instinct isn't to protect yourself. It's like, it's like coded into you. Like you're, you're, you're sort of nurtured that way instead of, instead of, you know, natured to protect yourself. Your life is, is sub the life of the dear leader. So right, but that doesn't necessarily work too. I mean, if you look yeah. at like the Soviet model, it that was you were supposed to think of the state, you were supposed to think of your comrades mm-hmm. before you thought of yourself. But the graft and the and the, the yeah. self the self aggrandizement was everywhere. Yeah. And as we see in China as well. There's no way Yeah, there's there's no way that people don't think of themselves. Mm-hmm. North Korea has a small advantage in the fact that there's not enough food for everyone. Yeah. And if you ever look at a satellite picture, there's not enough electricity up there's there. There's not enough uh, internet. There's nothing. Well, there's anything. no internet. It's you know how like the earth yeah. you look down and there's lights? Very few lights in North Korea. Yeah, I'm doubting this podcast will be downloaded in North Korea. I'm sure it's quite I have a lot of North Korean fans. <laughs> a lot of North Korean fans. I, I, I got some uh, I got some big fans in Iceland. Hey Iceland. How you doing? I love Iceland. It's one of the places I really I, want to go. Oh really? Desperately. A friend of mine goes every year. Are you, you kidding? Yeah, she uh spot run amok tours, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever want to run a marathon in Iceland. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you run marathons. I got into Sigur Ross. Sigur Ross, yeah, the Icelandic band. band. Diva Zappa uh, takes their photograph. She's is that on, Frank? Is that Frank Zappa's no. youngest daughter? You're uh, kidding. She was on two episodes ago. Oh yeah, I know, knitting. I know, I saw that. She was the knitting dork. I figure, obviously, it has to be. I think you know, Frank Zappa's kids are all interesting, also, right? One of them's a screenwriter, and he wrote this this Dweezil? Disney or Amit. Amit. I don't know anything about them except for their names. Dweezil. And Moon is always very nice to me. Yes. That's, and she's very funny and interesting. That's so funny. She, we do spoken word stuff together. We do on Do you do spoken word? Do you do non... I do. You I know. do a lot of... I have two storytelling shows this week. Feel free to check my, my schedule, Los Angelinos, because uh, I'm constantly doing something besides... I have a live, uh, live podcast, by the way, just added anime con mm-hmm. at the wow. end of May. They're flying me to Dallas to do anime con live... Uh, live episode at in Dallas at acon.com. And then uh, the week after that, I'm in Bloomington for the Limestone uh, Podcast Festival. And then, uh, yeah, those are the next two live episodes of The Dork Forest. But, and that live episode in Limestone is going to be with Al Jackson, who was talking about uh, old school hip hop. Wow. Which I ref- referenced as old timey hip hop. And he was like, no, no. Gangstar old is school. my favorite old school hip hop guy. Right? And uh, which one? Gangstar. 
Gangster. Guru. Guru is the From leader what, of Gangstar. Uh, it's, it must be 80s, early 90s. All right. Some, uh, he was talking uh, the origins. He was oh, talking wow. like Big Daddy Kane and before that, actually. He was Sugar Hill? Sugar Hill Gang? And uh, probably, probably Karis one and uh, Knowledge Reign Supreme over nearly everyone. Uh, but the I wish is- there was, I wish there was more of an overlap between like, you know, different kinds of, I wish rap and, Rap and comedy were closer together. Like, and I know there's yeah. some. I know yeah. like Hannibal's directing some rap videos, and Reggie, you know, does some rap stuff. But like, I really wish that like. I think it's mostly it's mostly the black community. Like, mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be black comics who will who will know more of those guys or comedy rappers. Well, because they'll get to hang with them more, you know. Because you you end up like Hannibal Burris is a great comic and has a great mm-hmm. show in Williamsburg. Right? Yeah, the Knitting Factory. The Knitting Factory, and but he, much like myself. I know more great women comics than most white guys. Yeah. Right? Hannibal Burris knows more great black male comics. Yeah. That I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's, fan- it's, it's fascinating, but. It's weird when you're part, it's, I can, I wonder how Hannibal feels knowing all these great black comics. Cause I'm, I'm back in the States now and. No one's I know ever all heard these of great, any of those British comics. Yeah, all these fantastic talents. Like people barely know who Stuart Lee is, and mm-hmm. he has an amazing television show in the UK, and he's a household name. Mm-hmm. And Josie should be a household name, right? And you just wonder um, why but America. Nobody knows who Dana Gould is. But you know what? America <laughs> does get a much more. I think America in Europe is much more. People still look to us for not for some reason. But people like American movies are the norm everywhere, you know, isn't that strange? I don't know how I always wonder if there's a one point where that happens, where there's one if there's one thing that sets it off or if it's just a whole. It's it's cheaper, actually. It's uh, it's cheaper to buy content from the United States to air on television and movies than it is to make content, which is why Canada and Australia, for example, and I'm sure other countries um have certain quotas. They say that a certain percentage of the television that airs yeah. in their countries has to be locally made. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to jumpstart their own entertainment industry. I always because wonder. Because it's cheaper to buy stupid blind date, old mm-hmm. blind date oh, episodes God. and old Maury Povich. And, and it's just, and it's not even the good television from the States. It's the terrible, it's an inundated, mm-hmm. like, the, Say yes to the dress, which I know people love. Whatever. Are the people who come on your podcast as a because you're brimming with this inside information and and you want to share it with the world, but you can't be annoying. Do you know well, what I mean? People, people. I I, I, I threat. I uh. What do you, you mean? Like like I on? know so much relative to my friends. I don't know as much relative to a scholar, but I know a lot about David Foster Wallace. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot about these great writers like like Englander and Jonathan Tropper and George Saunders, who's now starting to get recognition, like a great short story and novelists. And I want to go around telling people like, you should be reading these things. And it's vaguely... It's, it's vaguely, vaguly frustrating. But the dork, that's why the dork bore us. You're like, no, no, I dare you to bore me with the minutia oh, yeah. of this insanity. And, and so people are, that's the great thing about, that's the great thing about the dork force. You can really that, sense the, you can really sense, I feel a, a sense of my own, not, I feel a sense of shame being like, no one needs to hear, the, you know, no one needs right? to hear me talk about it. But it's a, but like, the thing is, is even if you don't, if you didn't know anything about David mm-hmm. Foster Wallace except for that you had just finished Infinite Jest and yeah. nothing else, yeah, I would still be interested to your take on it because well, to read a twelve hundred page book is an experience. It's <laughs> climbing a mountain. It's like an unbelievably. Did it end well? Spoiler alert. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> how I don't. It end? Did it end well? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. Lady and the Tiger? I'm what just rereading happened? it. I'm rereading it again. Started it makes <laughs> it, everything. It's impressive. I will close with, um, uh, with this comment with these. Yeah. Can I say two things about Foster Wallace sure. and, 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 uh, and <laughs> to end do. the guy was clearly like a very sad and brilliant person. And he was, uh, and it, and that troubles me a lot because you know, he seems more self-aware than anyone I've ever read. And so if he's self-aware and he's decided that the out, that the world that he's seeing merits removal, like he's, um, uh, that suicide like if is he's that, if he's that smart and self-aware and is and like, yeah, life himself? is not worth living. Well, he's, he's looked at the world around him and judged it to not be worth sticking around for. And I know depression, I'm not a depressed person, right. but 
and people have explained to me that, that it's not as cut and dried as that because depression, it does things to people that, that are yeah. explainable. And it's but, different every day. Oh yeah. From according to what people say. I, I too, not a depressed person. I get depressed like a human, uh, and then I get over it. Yeah. It's yeah. like a real, it's so, so that's really sad. That's the first, that's the first thing. And so reading his books, I have to conflate, um, like whenever he mentions suicide in his books, I sort of like tense up a little bit and it's always this question in the back of my head, like this guy killing himself. I can't understand it. And he's the only celebrity I see on the dead celebrity I see on the street. Do you know what I mean? Like I see a guy with long hair and a bandana. I'm like, is that, of course it's not him. Why would you think that's him? Oh, right, right. But so he's, well, and it is mm -hmm. interesting that he wrote so much about suicide and nobody around him thought it might be a cry. Well, no, everyone (laughs) knew that he was down on the downward spiral. His friend, he was really best friends with Jonathan Franzen, who's now probably the most celebrated American author, but, but, um, people could see it coming. They knew it was a matter of time. People were visiting him Mm -hmm. at the end, knowing that this would probably be the last time they'd see him. Like it was a disease, like it was a cancer that he was dying of. That's how serious his depression was, I guess. But, but the final thing is that you look at, his breath and you go, Oh my God, my, my scope of vision is so narrow. You know, I know, I know so few of the words and the phrases and the way to put them, put them out there as a writer. But he had 20 years on you too. Yeah. Yeah. But even when he was very young, it felt like felt, you could see the spark. Yeah. That's the other thing. Struggling (laughs) against, struggling against people that you love. Right. But what a downer note. Hey, but at least here, and here's how we make it. Here's how we make it positive. Know that you at least recognize genius for what it is. I mean, be be happy in that that mm-hmm. you can recognize genius because then, you know, it it's it's like it's like recognizing other people's limitations. Like when you mm-hmm. recognize someone who sucks, uh, there's there's two things that happen. Like when you recognize someone who's better than you, or who has something that you don't have, into and with the way they do things, right? Yeah, with their mind and the fact that you can appreciate that is. Is something that you should lodge yourself for, you know? And then the challenge is to see a limited mind and to allow that limited mind to be. But this idea that you have, um, and again, I know we're running over, I'm sorry. Um, right. but this idea that you have, um, a life and have to justify it. Like it's a very, it's a very frustrating, uh, experience. Like he wrote a lot about tennis and I think that is because um, I'm sure he's written this exact thing or this kind of thing idea somewhere, but I haven't read all of his writing, so I'm not sure. But in tennis, you toss a ball up and it's no one's for a second. And then you serve it and you're like, here, take this. And the person mm-hmm. serves, it hits it back and he's like, here, take that. And so just the idea of giving and receiving and am I doing enough with what I've been given? Right. I feel like governs the entire, you know, that's his whole world. That's what really makes for me. That's what how he's really sort of changed my life. It's made me more neurotic in certain ways, obviously, as you can probably tell. But yeah, I think about that a lot. Like, what am I doing with my life? It's really shitty self-motivation, but, Uh, but it, and it's interesting. And, uh, I'll tell you, uh, here's what you don't, you don't want to do. You don't want to kill yourself. And on that (laughs) note, uh, we'll call it a day. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Jackie. You're welcome. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat, (laughs) my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?